1: Over on Fan Nation, we are back on the podcast after a a very brief hiatus with the, the start of spring ball. I'll be honest, guys, I uh, I took a little vacation with my uh, with my housemates. It was planned before we got the spring schedule, so there really wasn't a whole lot I could do. And uh, I think when you're when you're working in sports media, you really got to try to take take those vacations when you can, take those breaks when you can. But uh, we still got a lot of great stuff to get into today. Just watching pressers, talking to some of my t- some of the team. Uh, That was at spring practice. Nick Batty, Kendall Beam, and then Scott Bolt was uh, snapping some awesome photos. So, we're going to be talking about spring football today, kind of some of our initial takeaways from what uh, Dan Lanning had to say about the Ducks getting things underway in Eugene. And then we also have a little bit of recruiting intel that we want to get into after Oregon's big recruiting weekend last weekend. Before we get into today's pod, make sure you guys are locked in on all the social media platforms. You can follow me at Sports. you can follow Rube. At DRK Sports News. He is joining me on the podcast today. Dylan, how are we doing, man?
2: Doing great, man. It's finally uh nice to see you back on the on the podcast in a reliable Wi-Fi situation. It's awesome. And your lighting's good. We're all good.
1: Yeah, it's has it really been that long since I because it was when I was when I was in LA that yeah. last time that we wow, okay. Yeah, that was it's been a long time. But yeah, we're back in Eugene. Uh, hopefully my internet's going to hang in there with me It's not raining too much today For some reason when it rains, it was pouring yesterday and this morning It really affects the Wi-Fi um, So anyone else living in Eugene, hopefully they can sympathize with me But all that being said, man, it's, it's great to be back We're going to be going for about 40 minutes today is what we're hoping And uh, if you guys are watching live on YouTube, thanks for stopping by We're uh, live at Oregon Football Max Tourist Make sure to hop in the live chat, throw us some questions or comments Want to see where you guys are at with, uh, with spring football getting underway, uh, Eric says that I'm glowing. Hopefully that's a good thing, not meaning that my lights are too bright, but appreciate you, Eric. Glad to have you here for uh, today's show. Uh, but before we get into spring football, let's uh, get into some recruiting insight. Um, we do have some more updates coming today to Ducks Digest, some written updates that I'm going to be working on after this show, kind of throughout the, off, uh, without the afternoon, throughout the afternoon, rather. But Dylan, you were able to talk to 2024 modern day offensive lineman, Brandon Baker about his time in Eugene. And it sounds like it went, the trip went pretty well.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, for a lot of guys that visited this weekend, there's just an immense amount of talent. And a lot of those guys have been really just there as recruits. Like they don't know, um, you know, the talent super well, they're not really comfortable, um, you know, there, but, for Brandon Baker, his brother was Gary Baker, who played at uh, the University of Oregon for five years as a defensive lineman. And so he he was there a lot. He's very familiar with Autzen Stadium, with the football facilities, with Eugene, um, you know, and it's his dream school. He said that in his offer tweet uh, when he got that just about a week before he got the uh, you know, he went to the visit. So um, and the visit wasn't planned. That was one thing that kind of took me by surprise um, when he got that offer he had not planned to go there on an unofficial visit he was there to visit his brother um and through some little management through his brother he was able to get a visit and you know talk with the coaches and get to see a spring practice and all that stuff so um yeah it sounded like he really fell in love with with oregon again it had been a couple years um and they love his you know what he brings to the table i think he said that Adrian Clem told him that he checked all the boxes as an offensive lineman, um, and he's played everywhere but center already through his uh, sophomore year. So really impressive stuff. I'm surprised he doesn't have a ranking just yet on, on 247 or, or any of those sites. Um, his film is, is really impressive. So I think he's going to have a really big recruiting future. Um, even this spring, he's going to be headed to USC. That's next for him. And then this summer, I'm sure he wants to take some other visits as well. But he was talking about maybe taking a, a visit to Eugene again for the spring game, but that's not set in stone just yet.
1: Tells you a lot about how well the trip went when he's already talking about going back uh, after that first visit. 6'5", 287, 290 pound range for, for this sophomore offensive lineman who's playing at modern day, the number one ranked high school team in the country reigning national champions and and he's getting that versatility that work at a variety of positions with which makes me believe that his stock's only going to continue to rise. Looking at his two four seven sports profile, uh, he only has uh, four offers on his on his list right now. Let me see if I can throw that up on the screen. Um, so we got Fresno State, Michigan, Oregon, and Tennessee. So. Those are some pretty good schools to, to get things going. Obviously, with Michigan making a run into the playoff, they're, they're going to be, I think, just building towards bigger things on the recruiting trail. And then having the former player connection, I think, with Gary Baker is really helping. That's something that I thought about when I saw that he was visiting. Not only is landing building those relationships with former players, he's bringing them in to come by campus, to talk to the team, to talk to recruits, because those guys can pitch the team just about better than anybody else that except for current coaches and players that are on the roster. But seeing that Gary Baker was able to get this visit set up is definitely a, a good thing. And you figure that the ducks want to keep that modern day pipeline flowing. Jill Davies just transferred to UCLA. That's a new update that we got yesterday that i kind of forgot about until just now when I was talking about modern day. So Davies is going to be going to UCLA And the Ducks play UCLA at home in Austin. I believe it's October 22nd or 25th. I can't remember the date right off the top of my head, but it's later in October. But we'll see if he can break through. I know we were talking Dylan about how a lot of their offense, sorry, their secondary had left last year. So sounds like it's really just good things from from Baker to to start things off. And then USC, seeing that they're lurking with them so close up the road, with Riley Brown going there, CJ Williams going there from the 2022 class. I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being an Oregon USC battle, but way too early to call, but it's, it's important for him to, to get out to USC just because Lincoln Riley looks like he's ramping things up on the trail and really looking to, to build off the guys that the connections that they have in the Southern California area with those schools.
2: Yeah, and I think one thing that was really cool that I got to talk to Brandon about was some advice that he got from, from his brother about, you know, being on the recruiting trail and getting this, um, you know, attention now. And because Gary went through it as well, got a lot of offers, um, you know, being a, a really solid defensive lineman as well. And so, um, he was just saying like, take it slow. You're obviously really young. You're going to get a lot more offers. Um, you don't have to rush into things. Um, and you know, of course he only has a couple offers now, but like we said, he's a sophomore and, you know, by the end of next year, he could be, you know, a four or five star guy who knows, um, and so i think the future is super bright for him you know just having that versatility at such a young age on such um you know a successful team like modern day um it it only speaks to his talent just raw talent um and he's only going to get bigger and stronger as he you know continues to work with such a you know established coaching staff at modern day
1: like we were saying earlier too too early to say about anything about a leader or anything as his recruitment picks up but Seeing that he came to Gary's games when he was younger, I think it's only going to help in their recruitment. To, to be able to, to see a different perspective of the program, excuse me, program, i uh, got to catch myself there. We are a program podcast. I always say that with Steven, but uh, it kind of just is a little thing that goes in, in, my, in my mind when we're talking about uh, the outlook of Oregon football. But I think it'll really help seeing that he's going to be able to have that fan experience the fan perspective and really knowing what Oregon has looked like and just how different the program is going to look with, with Dan Lanning at the helm Seeing that he was able to go to these games. He knows what the program has looked like in the past. And I think that he can really maybe better than some other recruits. Kind of what I'm getting at, just understand how this program is being shifted, what changes Lanning wants to make. And you you uh, asked him about what the atmosphere was like at practice and what it was like to to see the coaches in action after getting to to build starting to build those relationships.
2: Yeah, he said that everybody was bought in. Everybody was following Dan Lanning's lead, like not just the players but the coaches as well. Um, and he said that you know everybody was just bought into the vision that Dan Lanning had. And it, I think I've heard that a lot when I've talked to recruits that have visited and gotten to talk with Dan Lanning one-on-one it's just everybody's already bought in and we're only two spring practices in he's really only been in Eugene as the head coach for two months so it's really impressive that you know through all the the coaching changes that Oregon has had through coordinators and head coaches over the last you know really since Gary Baker was Mm -hmm. was first there in 2015 even since then um it's amazing that those players those veteran players especially um they're able to still buy into, you know, a coach's regime. And one thing I was, I wanted to ask it, but I forgot to was um, if he was talking to any other recruits that had been there about Eugene and about, you know, the program, like you said, what it, um, you know, it's glory days and that kind of thing. um, I, I wondered if he did a little bit of, you know, recruiting and gotten to, you know, maybe some show some of those guys around a little bit.
1: All right, so Brandon Baker, Ducks are off to a great start with with his recruitment. Sounds like he's going to be getting back on campus, hopefully, for the, the spring game. So getting those return visits, having guys on campus a lot early in their recruitment. We're seeing this Oregon staff send out tons of offers to a variety of classes. I think they're offering a lot earlier than the previous staff. So just another note that kind of stands out from the recruiting trail. But one other note that I wanted to to get into here by the way you don't want to give away everything on the brandon baker piece so definitely go over to ducksdigest.com and, and give that a read dylan uh posted that this morning but jaden wayne was one of the biggest visitors for the ducks that was on campus this past weekend 2023 five-star defensive end and i think with the crazy amount of talent that the ducks add on campus having someone as high profile as brandon baker like we said, he doesn't have a talent offers right now, but someone from the reigning national champions can play multiple positions on the o- offensive line. It just kind of tells you that the Ducks had some serious talent on campus. And uh, I think that they're just bringing in even more high profile visitors than the previous staff did. And they're just getting started. But Jaden Wayne was here. He's been to Oregon numerous times, even before Dan Landing got hired. He made it a priority to get out here, came out in January after his, North Carolina visit got canceled because of weather, I believe it was. He was telling me that the flights got mixed up. But before I get into too much on him, he was telling me that as far as his timeline goes, he he doesn't want to commit to official visits until he announces his top five. So after hearing that, it kind of makes me think, okay, he's going to announce his top five and then he's going to take his official visits to those five schools I know he's someone that wants to get the official visit process going sooner rather than later, and, and I got to think that the Ducks are in a great spot with him, not only because they're going to have KT going high in the draft this year and that the defensive line has continued to improve over the past couple seasons at Oregon, but also because you have Dan Lanning coming in, Tosh Lupoy. and I know that Tosh Lupoi is definitely someone that is at the forefront of this recruitment and that Jaden Wayne's really liking what, what Lupoi is telling him about. The organ program and, and how he's going to be used and, and developed.
2: I talked to Jaden Wayne. I believe it was after a visit last summer. Um, maybe it was the spring, but I believe it was the summer. And he was talking about how, you know, Tim DeRuiter and that coaching staff, the defensive coaches were hyping him up as a guy that could replace Kayvon Thibodeau and, you know, have that similar build, that similar explosion. And I feel like, this new coaching staff, the way that they're recruiting some of these defensive ends like Mateo and, um, you know, and Jaden Wayne particularly. I, I think that, um, you know, and, and the Overton brothers for sure, not to forget them. I feel like they're they're looking for that too. Like, you know, Tim DeRuiter and that coaching staff was last year. And Jaden Wayne, I think, is a perfect fit for what Oregon is looking for. And, you know, not necessarily to replace Kayvon Thibodeau because it's really hard to replace a guy like that who was, you know, a top, five-star player coming out of you know you know his junior year really I think it was when he was really the top player in the country at that point and so Jaden Wayne is one of the top players in the country already and he's been all over Eugene numerous times like you said so I, I would expect Oregon to be in the top five just because of how many times he's been there and
1: all the great things he's had to say over the last couple of years. Jaden Wynn also announcing that he's going to be taking a trip to Oklahoma uh, upcoming here pretty soon. I'm looking on his timeline just to, to double check. Um, March 18th is when he's going to be in Norman. And when I was talking to him, I asked him kind of what he's going to have his eye on when he makes his way out to Norman to check out the Sooners. And let's see what he had to say. I'm just looking, looking at my notes here. He said, meeting the coaches, players, and seeing the campus. This, this is going to be his first time out in Norman. So with Brent Venables and the track record that he has at, at uh, Clemson, they've definitely fallen off, I think. But he, he was one of the best defensive coordinators in all of college football, I think, and, he, and he, his name still carries tons of weight. They've really not lost a step on a recruiting trail since Lincoln Riley departed. I know USC is another school that's very involved with, with Jaden Wayne and his recruitment. He was actually able to get out to Los Angeles for, for their junior day one little note that I wanted to, to touch on while we were talking about recruiting, uh, Dylan, I think I'm just trying to kind of reconsider and just reevaluate Oregon's recruiting disadvantage from a geography standpoint. Obviously, they can get guys to campus. That's, that's, no, that's nothing new. I mean, ever since Scott Frost said it's hard to recruit to Eugene, I felt like that just keeps getting proven wrong over and over again. Mario Cristobal brought in a lot of elite players, so did Dan Lanning, but when we're talking about USC being located in LA, one of the I was listening to the 247 Sports Recruiting podcast and they were talking about just how they coupled their big visit with Junior Day with their uh, UA Under Armour next camp. That no, wasn't their camp, sorry. It was an Under Armour camp in LA. A lot of guys were coming to town for that camp. But then you look at USC and they're able to say, hey, you're coming for this camp. Why don't you just take a couple hours and come on by campus and see Lincoln Riley, see the new digs, see the momentum, see what we're building. So I don't want to hype them up too much per se, but I think little notes like that kind of help put into perspective just how USC is trying to turn things around and maybe just shed some light on a recruiting battle that's going to be taking shape probably for years to come between Dan Lanning and Lincoln Riley because they are recruiting a lot of the same guys.
2: When USC has so much to look forward to on the football field now, too, it feels like for the first time since Sam Darnold was there, I'd say, you know, the last couple of years were just really underwhelming. You know, a couple of years ago, they went to the Pac-12 championship, were undefeated at that point. But you really haven't seen this USC football team just kind of dominate the West Coast. And, you know, a lot of people are definitely saying that this is going to be the year where they they make that turn back into know, the dominant force and it's going to be USC versus Oregon. And so, you know, now it's like the the two hubs of West coast recruiting is going to be in Eugene, Oregon and Los Angeles, California. Um, And it's just crazy that that's, you know, those two hubs are going to be fighting for a lot of the top guys across the country. And, you know, it's hard to beat what Oregon just brought into the, you know, into town this weekend with all those five-star guys and, you know, the four-star guys and just from head to toe, there were so many guys who, Um, can make an impact on an elite program. And so um, Jaden Wayne, I know, is being recruited heavily by Alabama, too. That's one you can't sleep on. Um, I think I've read by a couple of sites that they're one of the favorites, if not the favorite. Um, So if if I had to guess right now, I'd probably say a top three, just what I've read. I haven't talked to him for um, a bit, so I'm sure you'd probably know a little bit more. But I'd say Oregon, USC and Alabama are comfortable Top three, just based on how many times he's visited, what he said about them, um, and just the direction of those programs. I feel like, I mean, he's got a million offers, but I feel like those are kind of the top fits and the top, you know, just based on the amount of times he's, he's been
1: there and what he said about him. Jaden Wayne, no doubt one of the top targets for Dan Lane and this Oregon staff in 2023. He also took a visit out to Miami recently, I think for their junior day or elite prospect day. I can't remember what it was called, but. We know that Mario Cristobal built a good relationship with Jaden Wayne when he was here at Oregon, so no surprise to see him pick that back up and uh, get Wayne out to Miami, but I'm going to have more on Jaden Wayne and his visit to Oregon later, depending on when you guys are uh, listening to this. I'm going to try to post it pretty much right after we get off of YouTube here, but I'll have more on Duck's Digest on that visit with Jaden Wayne, so make sure you keep an eye out for that. Another guy I recently talked to was 2023 Rainier Beach cornerback Caleb Presley. Who's got offers as well from all across the country? He's been out to schools for visits like Alabama and Georgia. He went out to Washington at the start of the, I guess, at the end of the dead period, rather, I would say. And he talked about how important it was for him to get out to Washington and, and shake Kalen DeBoer's hand and with him being the new coach out there. So, a couple of guys to keep an eye on for updates as those will be rolling out later today. But, Dylan, recruiting the side, We still got a whole bunch to talk about because the Ducks kicked off spring football since we last recorded here on the podcast. And uh we have some things that we wanted to kind of hit on here, starting off with some roster moves, just because those were excuse me, those were a couple things that uh stuck out to us once that first practice got underway. We got the new roster and and some guys are gonna be lining up at some new spots. Let's talk about some of those that kind of stood out to us.
2: Well, I know one of your favorite guys on the team that I, I know you're probably dying to talk about is DJ Johnson. It feels like every time we've talked about who's going to replace Kayvon, who's going to bring the juice off the edge, you always bring up DJ Johnson, whereas I always seem to forget about him. And, um, you know, I, I think his move to outside linebacker is um, is one of those interesting ones where maybe this is kind of that Tim DeRuiter hybrid defense where you see those edge rushers, you know, lining up as a, as a three-point stance guy or maybe even standing up and, and dropping back. Um, haven't really seen a lot of that from DJ Johnson where he's, he's standing up and, and dropping back. I think he's always really been, um, you know, an actual defensive lineman on the, on, along the line. So I'm wondering what this defense, you know, what that says about what this defense could look like.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: With, with DJ Johnson and kind of the outlook for next year, I know some people are thinking about Mitchell Agude, the UCLA transfer linebacker who was on campus for a visit. Kind of from what I'm hearing is that he's a better run defender than a pure edge rusher or a pass rusher. So even if he ends up coming to Eugene, I need to do some digging to see kind of where things are at there. I'm not sure if he could fill that pass rush role that the Ducks really need right now. So in my opinion, I feel like DJ Johnson's the, the lead candidate, even though he didn't play a ton on the defensive line last year. You obviously got to have like have guys like Braden Swinson in that conversation as well. But just because of the, the potential that we know DJ has and the athleticism that he has and the upside, the fact that he played defensive end to start his career at Miami and you bring in and surround him with this awesome coaching staff, I feel like he's just really ready to take that next step. And, and he's someone that I'm super excited to see mature and throughout spring football A couple other guys, so we have DJ Johnson listed at outside linebacker. He's also rocking number two. Adrian Jackson is going to be moving to inside linebacker. Seven McGee listed as a wide receiver, although I think he's still going to be involved in a lot of run plays. Maybe we'll see him at running back, but even if he's a receiver, I think getting him involved on sweeps and, and plays like that is going to be really big. Jackson Powers Johnson listed as an offensive lineman and defensive lineman, but we know that from what Dan Lanning told us, on signing day, actually, uh, early signing day back in December, that he's going to be starting off uh, spring ball uh, on the defensive line. Jonah Miller, former offensive line recruit in the 2020 class, I believe. I can't remember. Maybe he's he's 2021. Excuse me. I think he's 2021. He's listed as a defensive lineman now. Jake Shipley, who had been doing some work on the edge, is listed as a defensive tackle. And then one of the more surprising moves, Jonathan Flo, who came – to Oregon as a linebacker recruit out of Upland, the younger brother of Justin Flow, is listed as a defensive back now.
2: I thought the Jonathan Flow one out of that group was the most interesting just because I feel like last year we didn't hear his name. And of, of course, as a true freshman and with all the depth that they had, of course they had injuries, but they still had a lot of really talented guys. Um, I don't think he really had a, a spot carved out for him. And maybe this is one of those things where they think that he can make a, an impact um, as a defensive back. And I don't think this is necessarily new for him because I believe he played safety in high school, if I'm not mistaken, um, and made the, the move to linebacker going into into Eugene. So I think, you know, the fact that they name him defensive back, they don't really say corner or safety. We'll have to say where his fit is. I would imagine he probably goes back to safety just given his, his build and experience back there. I'm really excited to see if he can find a role back there just because, um, you know, I mean, you, you think about the, the Flow brothers, the Flow bros. Um, I, I feel like he's, he's got some of that explosion in him that his brother does, too. And, you know, you can never really have enough of that defensive tenacity and nastiness that, you know, Justin Flo has. So I'm, I'm really excited to
1: see if he can carve out a role, maybe pop off in the spring and in the fall. Looking at the film for for Justin Flo and Jonathan Flo, I, obviously they're two very different players, but I do agree that they both had that 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 fire in them and that intensity to their game. And and because Jonathan Flo came in to Oregon as a guy with with a slider frame, I think it makes more sense to to move him to defensive back. And that linebacker room is crowded, man, super super crowded. So you figure it's going to be pretty difficult for anybody coming in to to break through that group. And the Ducks need some help in the secondary with the departures of Rome McKinley and, and Mikel Wright and DJ James, just to name a few. And I think that that would kind of serve as a nice segue to our next guy that we want to talk about. And that's Jeffrey Bossa. I'm super, super excited about him. Very, very high on him and his potential in this Oregon defense, especially with Landing coming in and just being a guy that I think can really maximize the versatility. I think that's what's got me so excited about Landing in this defense is that there's kind of some guys that weren't necessarily tweeners but I think that they flashed in a lot of different positions I know that we saw Bennett Williams in that star position last year you, you see him being the most experienced safety that's returning here but I think that star position was was kind of a little bit like a, a, a safety linebacker hybrid role and with Jeff Bossa and the need at safety I kind of figured that maybe it would make sense to move him back to safety but after seeing that roster, I think Lane's kind of doubling down on, on the confidence that he has in him as a linebacker that has that carried over from that last staff because he's somebody that can run, which we already know from his high school days, being a guy who was on the special teams units as as a returner. He ran track out in Utah as a high school guy, and he certainly displayed the physicality that you need for a linebacker. And, and I think that today's modern version of a really successful linebacker looks quite different than it did, you know, even five years ago. And the versatility that Bossa has is, is only going to be a tremendous asset for whatever kind of a defensive scheme landing ultimately rolls out. And I know that's going to be something I'm looking for uh, once we get to the linebacker. Sorry. Once we get to the spring game.
2: I definitely want to uh, touch on that. I need to correct myself. Jonathan flow was not a safety in high school. He was actually a, an outside linebacker. Uh, one of the top ones in the country. So had to correct myself there, but Jeffrey Bossa, you know, was I think one of the biggest wild cards coming into the Dan Lanning era, just because Mario Cristobal had said, we're going to move him back to safety when he had started, I believe, seven games played all 14 um, with most of those being at linebacker and played really well. I think there was no defensive freshman, um that played better than Jeffrey Bossa did and had a bigger impact than he did. And so I felt like he was, extremely capable of of growing as an inside linebacker Um, you know kind of that star position that you were talking about I feel like if you keep him there you know you know what you have for the most part and there is some depth at safety I think even if they moved him back there I think he could probably still carve a spot given his experience and speed and physicality but I, I like his fit at linebacker I like the confidence that Dan Lanning has in him as a linebacker he said that He's a guy that, you know, you just need a guy who can run as a linebacker. You need those guys, no matter if it's a Sam backer, Mike backer, Will backer, it really doesn't matter. You know, you just need guys that can run and Jeffrey Bossa having that experience as a track guy. And even as a defensive back, that's just a perfect fit. And I think he's going to keep growing physically and, you know, keep putting on muscle and and turn into, you know, a true Mike backer or Will backer, whatever you want to call that. Um, Dan Lanning was saying there's there's no such thing anymore but just having that speed, having that physicality and the nose for the football that he has as a as a safety turning into a linebacker, I think that's, you know, a really seamless transition.
1: I think another thing that's going to help Boston just take a step forward is is the improvement of the defensive line. I think that this in this defensive line even though it has a lot of returning depth, and I think they added to that depth through the transfer portal. And then these other guys that we're seeing like Sir Mels and Ben Roberts that are going to be arriving in the summer along the defensive line. They need to prove that they can rush the passer, but there's a lot of really big bodies. And I think that's going to help them plug those holes in the run game and in the pass game. We heard from a lot of these other guys on the Oregon team last year how bossa just kept looking more comfortable and, and finding his fit in the defense, shooting the right holes. And we already know that he's probably one of the best linebackers in coverage right now because of his smaller frame coming in as a defensive back. And, and that's going to be something that he can use to his advantage here. But that's one of the biggest things that I'm going to be looking for from this defense, from the start of spring football to maybe the spring game you never want to see a quarterback getting hit. And I don't think that that'll be the case really in the spring game. Obviously you want to keep those guys upright and keep them protected, but just get through the line and and get that pass rush and hopefully get some sacks because even with Kaylon Thibodeau last year, I don't think he was super consistent himself. And I think that's probably going to be part of the reason we see him fall a little bit in the draft. And I I feel like Hutchinson might be taking over him, but as far as this year's group goes, I'm I'm super excited about, about Jeff Bassa. And kind of the the potential that he presents for that linebacker group, and we also had another injury update that we wanted to get into with uh, with that linebacker group, Dylan. We were talking about Jonathan flow earlier. What what are we hearing coming out of the spring ball about the uh, older flow, Justin?
2: Yeah, so he's out there on the field, but um, you know I don't think he's necessarily ready to to go necessarily. Dan Lanning said that um, you know they're continuing to assess it. It's not really that something that they've been able to put a timeline on. Um, so, it's been about six months since that injury. You think about right before the Ohio State game um, back in September, early September. So, I'm wondering, you know, once they kind of ramp into this 11 on 11 stuff and you um, get closer to the spring game, now that they have a two week break, I think that's going to do wonders for his health. But I'm wondering where he, exactly he's at with in terms of getting back to full health. Like, it's been six months. We don't know exactly what the injury was. We just know it was a leg injury, I believe. Um, you know, two years in a row now, a season ending leg injury. And so I'm wondering what, you know, where he's at physically um, just because it's been two years in a row and, you know, you have to go through rehab year after year now. And so I feel like there's still a spot carved out for him, for his talent, for his caliber. You know, I, I think he's got a spot locked up at inside linebacker next to Noah Sewell, but, you know we saw what he could do against Fresno state. Um, and in the spring game last year, even I'm wondering if, you know, he'd be ready to go if, if the spring game was say two
1: weeks from now. I remember seeing him take the, take the field or go out in Columbus with the team in a boot. So that lends itself to, you know, maybe a leg or, or foot injury of some sort didn't get, we never get a whole bunch of specifics when it comes to injury news. And I know a lot of, a lot of teams, their coaches just completely declined to, to comment on injury news. And, you know, they'll, they'll be saying, you know, we'll keep that in-house or we'll release it closer to the game, you know, kickoff. So really, I feel like any injury news we get is is uh, great because you a lot of times you just don't get that from coaches, but also to be taken with a grain of salt. Um, not to say that we should be distrustful of anybody, but um, we, we un- you can understand why it would be in the a coach's best interest to kind of keep keep his cards closer to the vest when it comes to injury news like that. But Flo has definitely got a role carved out for him. A lot of people are hoping that he can stay healthy to go next to Noah. We saw the, we really saw that potential after so much anticipation in just one half of football against Fresno State Him running around the field. I remember in the spring game, he was keeping pace with, with Devin Williams and, and banging his head left and right. That was super cool to watch. Just the energy that he has is super infectious and, and that's going to benefit any defense, but... I know one of the questions that that was getting asked was, was how does Ty look in practice? I haven't gotten to see him in practice. And I know that the access that we have gotten so far is just about 20 minutes uh, at the beginning of practice. So we aren't able to glean a whole lot right now, but as far as the quarterback battle, that's going to be one of the biggest question marks throughout the entire uh, entirety of spring football. And what Layden has been able to say about the quarterback group has been pretty surface level, nothing groundbreaking, Dylan, but, still worth a mention, just so we can share with you guys, the, the audience, what, what information we are getting. He was saying that it's a very mature group. He likes what they have right now. And um, let's see, what else was he saying? He was also talking about just how it's going to be a really collaborative effort and that they're going to be working with each other to share what they're seeing and kind of what's working and what's not. And another interesting note, Dylan, that we got was I don't know if it was asked specifically about the quarterbacks. It might've been, but it was about just the feedback that that players are getting as far as how the coaching staff is managing that, where they stand in the depth chart, how everything is going with them. And Lanny was telling us that it's going to be constant feedback during practice, after practice, in between meetings, during games. So you like to hear that pretty much an expected answer, but you you want to be transparent. and, And I think that's something that you want to establish early and it's key to have trust with guys because it's a pretty loaded roster. There's still some, there's going to be numerous position battles throughout this fall spring and fall camp. And guys want to know that uh competition is going to be where they thrive. And, but that they still have an opportunity to, you know, get what's theirs and, and carve out a role.
2: Lanning said, I believe it was during the national signing day. Um, I'm not hundred percent sure which one it was, but earlier in the, um, you know, in the off season that, competition breeds excellence. That was one thing that um, kind of stood out when, when he was asked about the quarterbacks. And I feel like what they're doing, bringing in Bo Nix is kind of paying off just in the sense that he has that experience and he's able to share that with, um, you know, Ty Thompson and Jay Butterfield. And from their perspective, they're able to share, you know, the Oregon vibe Jay Butterfield has been there for a couple of years, Ty Thompson for a year, just getting used to the program and the teammates and, you know, um, the, I guess the practice isn't necessarily something you can really teach them just because it's a new coaching staff. I think everybody's getting used to that at the same time. But in terms of, you know, Bo Nix's three years at Auburn, you know that he's got, you know, a lot of really solid experience going up against usually a really talented stout defense that Auburn had every day in practice. So I think so far it's, it's so far so good. I don't think, you know, that question was asked and I, I feel like some people were probably expecting – him to give a grand statement about where, you know, who's ahead, who's behind like this sort of thing. Um, And you're just probably not going to hear that up until, you know, not even probably late fall camp close to the Georgia game.
1: Yeah. One of the questions that was asked in the chat earlier, sorry, I I, uh, couldn't find it. we got Justin's comment here saying that this chat's popping and it definitely is. So it's, it can get a little hard to keep track of comments, but one of the ones I remember seeing was, I think the question was, do we expect any position battles or starters to be announced by the time spring football is over? And I'd say I'd, I'd probably doubt it. Aside from the offensive line, I, I can't see any position group being too too locked down right now just because of the the wealth of returning experience that they have. Since George Moore is gone, you figure the two guys that are primed to step into a bigger role are Steven Jones and Stephen Jones and Dawson um, Jaramillo with, with how they were used last year is the heavy rotational guys and then i think tj bass is probably going to get kicked out to left tackle after spending much of his time at oregon as a guard just because of how well he did last year when he did have to move out to left tackle but that's the only position group that i can see right now at least having a pretty decent amount of certainty and then you also have to look at the running backs with with Cardwell. I think a lot of people are, are are quick to to give Cardwell the benefit of the doubt as far as being the lead guy, and I'm fully confident that he is every bit uh, capable of, of doing that. But this spring is really going to serve as an opportunity for some of these younger guys that we haven't seen too much of, Sean Dollars, who who hasn't had the best injury luck, but that was his only major injury. And he was also behind Travis Dye and CJ Verdell. So Sean Dollars has a huge opportunity to step forward, especially if Seven McGee is going to end up working primarily at wide receiver. Then Aaron Smith, uh, a former walk-on, Jordan James isn't with the team right now. But especially if Seven is going to be working primarily at receiver, then I think that it's going to be a great opportunity this spring for for Cardwell to to continue evolving, and then for Sean Dollars to to really show, hey, I, I've recovered from this injury, and, and I'm not here to mess around. I'm gonna I'm gonna give this running back battle my best shot
2: well you just said it right there a second ago that you know jordan james a guy like him he's not in eugene yet and a lot of that 2022 class isn't in eugene yet i think that's a huge reason why you know they can't and shouldn't make any final decisions on who's going to start where necessarily um just because you look at like linebacker devin jackson um harrison taggart those guys are going to be in there in in the fall the secondary, Jaleel Tucker, Jaleel Florence, Trajan Williams. Those guys are going to be coming down, you know, in the fall too. So, um, and then you factor in the defensive line, you know, Taki is probably going to be coming in in the fall. Ben Roberts, Surmel's, um, Jordan Riley. So there's still a lot of guys that they have, they don't know what they're going to look like with the team yet. They have to get them acclimated as well. And so that's, that's a whole other battle right there. So I'm, I'm really curious, um, you know, how they kind of navigate the, you know, who looks better than who right now? Because obviously they're giving that feedback. They're, um, you know, they're in the meeting rooms and in the, in the film room and working through, you know, who's standing out and who's not. And I think that you have to keep in mind if you're the coaching staff, you still have a lot of guys that are going to be coming in in the fall that have to get up to speed. And so I think that's going to be a really difficult challenge just with how much talent is going to be coming in from the transfer portal and. Um, you know, through the recruiting trail. And you almost wish that you had more guys coming in um, in the spring, just so you can get a, a head start on that.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm anxious to get out to the practice field myself. The next practice isn't until later this month to see which transfer guys are actually here because Sam Taimani is listed on the roster. Um, Jordan Riley isn't listed right now. Um, and this is why I wish I was here when spring ball started so I could confirm myself, you know, which guys which guys are actually here to, to start off spring ball. But uh, we'll, we'll try to get those updates out to you as soon as we can. As far as other injury news, I, I think uh, we were we saw we saw and heard that uh, Popo is in a sling right now. Because I think you were trying to ask that in, in the last press conference while I was out of town. And uh, I think some of the offensive linemen were a little bit limited. During the, the first week of spring ball, some sp- guys that got asked about specifically were asked Alex Forsyth, Marcus Harper, the second and Jonathan Dennis, obviously Forsyth to face of the offensive line, I believe, in my opinion, with him being the center, but Marcus Harper uh, and Jonathan Dennis were, were some guys that were held in very high regard by the previous offensive line staff and, and they looked like they would have an opportunity to, to break through if this group wasn't so veteran.
2: Yeah, from our Nick Batty, it sounded like uh, Alex Forsyth was not participating in the individual drills. It sounded like he was still around, but uh, wasn't participating. So hopefully that's just a, a precautionary thing. I think these two weeks will um, you know, do him some good, as well as Marcus Harper and Jonathan Dennis. It sounded like what Dan Lanning said about those three, that he was just hopeful that those three were going to be back. Um, didn't really have a timetable for them or for Popo, but he did say he's still in rehab because i believe he had shoulder surgery if i'm not mistaken um before or shortly after the alamo bowl
1: okay because i remember that popo was kind of a a little bit of a late scratch for for the alamo bowl but a lot of Oregon fans were happy when he announced that he was going to be coming back for a year and he just continues to evolve his game and, and i believe he earned some kind of conference honors last year i just can't remember off the top of my head but as far as Forsythe, Harper, and Dennis, this is Dan Lane's exact quote. I think we'll get a lot of these guys back relatively soon. It's certainly impacted, but that what it it's certainly impacted. But what it's allowed us to do is to work other people at those positions and continue to improve. So that's what we have in our. Uh, I wanted to get a pod up here to to kind of hit on some important points as we get spring ball underway here in Eugene. Another update is that we got from Lenny is that it doesn't look like there's a plan in place right now to get out to Portland for a spring practice. So that's kind of a bummer with with so many duck fans out there in Portland. But who knows uh, with with so much time before the next practice with finals this week and then spring break next week. uh, A lot a lot can change, but uh, that's kind of what we have in this one. Dylan, is there anything else that you wanted to add before we got out of here that you feel like we didn't get to touch on? Um,
2: I think one thing that I'm just, I'm really excited about with, with this team and this spring is, is to see the wide receivers. I I feel like that was a question I was hoping to ask in the last one, just because it looks like Dante Thornton has put on some good muscle from the photos that I saw from Scott. Um, it looked like he's beefed up a little bit. Um, and somebody made a comment on, on our Ducks Digest Twitter about that. And, you know, he had the hashtag Unleash the skinnies, um, and he's not so skinny anymore. He's, he's got some muscle on him now. So I'm really excited to see, you know, the evolution of the Oregon wide receivers. I'm I'm looking forward to asking
1: that in a couple of weeks. Certainly critical for this offense that Kenny Dillingham's is going to be installing for the wide receivers to to continue evolving. Chris Hudson, Dante, and and Troy Franklin are some of the biggest names to watch there. Isaiah Crocker as well is someone that I think flew a little bit under the radar because he didn't play a lot of last season when the Ducks had their their full roster healthy. But I'm I'm excited to see how the receivers do without a doubt. And, um yeah, guys, that, that'll that do it for this episode of the pod. If you guys want to follow Dylan on Twitter, you can do that at DRK Sports News. Follow me at sports. Kindly ask that you do us a favor. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit that like button and hit the notification bell so that you don't miss out on future live shows. Kind of just running through what we're plugging here. And then if you want to ask a question, obviously we have the comments here, but we can also email us at uh, the Ducks dish podcast at gmail.com. I just got that email created. And then you can also follow us on Twitter at DucksDish. But that'll do it for us on this episode of the podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in, listening, however you guys are joining us. We really appreciate your support. Thanks to Rube for hopping on. And we will see you guys in the next episode. Take care.
2: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working